You're listening to episode 21 of the Journey to Launch podcast, The Seven Steps to Wealth with Hillary Hendershot, and is a certified financial planner the next person you should hire on your team? Let's find out. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 guys. Thank you so much again for joining me. This is episode 21 of the Journey to Launch podcast. I am happy you're here. If this is the first time you're listening, welcome. If you are a repeat listener, thank you for coming back. (laughs) On today's episode, I'm excited to have Hillary Hendershot from Hillary Hendershot Wealth Management, a leading financial advisory firm for women, where her mission is to motivate women and their loved ones to be financially empowered. Hillary also hosts one of my favorite podcasts, Profit Boss Radio, which is a weekly podcast where she is sharing her own insight as a financial planner and bringing on amazing guests. She's also been very highly recognized in her field as a top 40 under 40 entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. She's been on television numerous, numerous times and is considered a personal finance expert in her field. And I thought it'd be really good to have Hillary on because one, I trust her judgment and her advice, and she's a certified financial planner. So I know a lot of us, including myself, as people who are chasing FI, wanting to reach financial independence, or in the personal finance space, a lot of us are DIY investors. And so what that means is do it yourself. I know I'm a do it yourself investor at the moment. I handle all my investments. For me, they're on autopilot. I typically just invest in Vanguard, VTSAX, and let my money grow on autopilot while I invest it. But I thought it'd be good to have someone like Hillary on. She is in the business of helping people grow their money and she gets paid for that. And I thought it would be a good perspective to have on because I do think there's something to be said for having a certified financial planner on your team when it benefits you, when it makes sense for your portfolio. And so I have Hillary talk about that a bit in the episode. We talk about her background how she always didn't understand or have everything together with her finances. She had an aha moment herself where she had to change the way she operated, how she handled her finances to get on the right track. We talk about why she's so passionate about working with women. And we talk about the seven steps to build wealth that Hillary has coined. So I think you're really going to like when she talks about that. And in general, I think this episode is just filled with nuggets. You'll hear it when Hillary goes into her expertise and her background. So before we get into this amazing interview, I just wanted to say thank you again for listening. I can't say thank you ever too much for that. If you are listening, please continue to tell a friend or family member, share this podcast with people you love, get them on the road, get them on the journey with you and I to financial freedom. Also, you can find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts continue to share it that way. Also, you can even find this on YouTube. I really try to make this accessible to anyone and everyone, no matter if you're on a Apple product or a non-Apple product. But if you do happen to be listening to this episode on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you do that, it just helps the visibility of the podcast. It helps the podcast get more out there. And I would truly, truly appreciate it. 
last thing about this, if you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 21. You'll get all the links that I mentioned or that Hillary mentioned in this episode. Okay, so without further ado, let's jump right into this episode with Hillary Hendershot. I am so excited to have Hillary Hendershot on the podcast. I am a total Hillary fan. And so I'm just excited to have her here. And I want Hillary. Hi, Hillary. Hello. Thank you. To introduce herself to everyone. I'm Hillary Hendershot. I run a financial advisory firm for women out in San Jose on the left coast of the United States. And I just have a really interesting money how do I say this? Kind of a Cinderella story in my own life. And so I have a lot of compassion for people who maybe have the inclination to build wealth, but it seems like you don't have the skill or the willpower. And so uh, I've kind of made a platform out of that. (laughs) Right. I mean, you're also a certified financial planner, which I definitely want to get into that with you in terms of just what that means, because a lot of my audience, me included, I like I'm a DIY investor. I kind of handle my own finances, but there is something to be said for hiring a professional if it makes sense for you. So I definitely want to get more into that in the interview later on. Absolutely. I'd love to. So you said you have a very interesting story. You have a Cinderella story. Can you talk a little bit about what that means? Of course I can. So Basically, I got my start in the field of financial planning around my mid-20s. Well, about three or four years into my career, I found that I had to be really honest about that I was actually failing financially myself. So I was advising multimillionaires during the day on how to build and protect their assets. And then I'd go home to a stack of bills that I wouldn't open because I couldn't pay them. And for various reasons, that situation came to a head. So a lot of people, if they have debt or they're overspenders, they can sort of spin the plates of debt for many, many, many years, some like decades. For me, because I let things get so bad and then the financial crisis happened and my income went down and my bills went up, I was in a situation where I actually had to move out of the condo that I had just purchased. I rented it out for a little while and then I ended up giving it back to the bank. So I, first of all, was devastated. I was completely embarrassed. I thought I was basically a drag on society. I really couldn't imagine anything more shameful. And then one day I woke up and I thought, forget this. All of how this is going is horrible for me. And I just need to stop doing anything that I'm doing now. Like I have to change everything, what I'm doing about this, what I'm saying about this, what bills I'm paying, what bills I'm not paying. And I said to myself, I'm going to figure this out. I don't know why I have had this money trouble. I really have intentions to be a good, useful member of society. And this seems to have happened against my wishes, against my control. That's when I really started reading about and studying behavioral finance and money psychology. I really started paying attention to the subconscious over the conscious. And what I realized is that Instead of playing the game called building wealth, what I was actually doing was being engaged in a project called trying to convince other people that I was already there. Mm. So to me, being rich meant looking rich, meant other people think you're rich. And why do other people think you're rich? Because you spend a lot of money. So I had money really collapse with value and my own self-worth. And I was able to write those things to change my habits, to pay off the debts, to rebuild the savings accounts at this point 
with the value of the business that I've built, I'm well into a seven figure net worth. So I have recovered (laughs) and yet I'm touched by that experience in my own life. And so whenever I'm with clients or especially on my podcast, Profit Boss Radio, I always say it's a judgment-free zone because no matter where you are, I've been there or I know someone who has. And so I have a lot of compassion for it. Those are mostly the things that I speak to when I talk. Yeah. And I think it's so fascinating because you said you were dealing with other people's money. You were pretty astute with money. It's not like you didn't understand how it worked and you still found yourself with issues, with problems. And I think that may be comforting for some listeners because they might feel like even if they knew better that they would do better. But sometimes it's like you said, it's not just about the facts. It's not about the numbers. It's about the psychology and the behavior behind it all. Yeah. I think there are these people in the world who sort of naturally get born into a mind space or a headspace where they're able to build wealth, become a two, three, four million dollar net worth kind of a person. And then there are people who would like to be there. They would like to have enough cash flow to be happy. And it seems out of reach or very elusive in the same way that many just say, well, here's the steps to losing weight. Well, okay, we all know how to eat less and exercise more. But for a lot of people, that really doesn't make the difference. And so you kind of have to step back to this sort of who's in the driver's seat, what's turning the dials, why am I behaving the way that I'm behaving, position or vantage point to really interrupt that kind of pattern. (laughs) Also, you talked about changing your behaviors. What behaviors, what did you specifically do to get you back on the right track when you realized that you were overspending and you couldn't afford your condo? So you have to know both the behavior, the action that I took, and then the mindset that was behind it. Because really the first thing that I did that was the linchpin that changed everything was I decided. I decided my life is going this way now, but it ain't going to go this way forever. I'm done with this. And I was so clear about that, that I was just willing to do anything. I mean, I literally went from one day taking great steps to hide what was happening in my financial life to basically telling everyone. I mean, I told everyone, look, this is what's happening. I got this problem. I got this debt. I'm talking to the bank about this. I need to work this out. I got to change this. I mean, at first it was hard. It was hard for me to share about the turnaround until there was the triumph. I mean, obviously it's easy for me to say that's where I was then. Now here I am seven figures later. And so I struggled a little bit along the path, but I never took back that decision. So that's really the first thing I did. And then for me, I mean, I think the basic things of taking stock of where you're at. So literally making a list of the debts and understanding how much debt is there and what are the payments. And I had to make a choice. I can either pay for my life or I can pay the debt. And I have to make the choice right now to pay for my life. (laughs) I had to set some of the debts on the back burner. I had to negotiate some of them. Like I said, I tried to negotiate with the bank. My condo had gone from being worth almost $400,000 to being worth $200,000. And I said to them, give me a 30-year fixed for the fair market value of my condo. You're going to lose this money anyway because I can afford the 30-year fixed. And they wouldn't do it. 
They said, well, we'll extend the interest-only portion of your loan for five years. And I said, that's just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. I'm not interested in extending this five years. I don't want $200,000 of uncollateralized debt. I don't want a $400,000 debt on a $200,000 asset. I'm just going to bite the bullet now. And that ultimately is what I did. And we're not in a time period from the perspective of the economy where a lot of people do consider it a very drastic measure. But I think a lot of people react to what I just said, like, oh, she walked away from debt. That's bad. That's morally wrong. It lacks integrity. And I agree that financial integrity is critical. No one gets successful and maintains success without financial integrity. To that end, part of integrity is also being clear and taking responsibility when you're going to break your word. And I promise you that money is just business. And if the bank were in debt to you and the bank CEO had to choose between the company staying alive and paying that debt to you, that he wouldn't pay that debt to you. Mm, Right. We have to make those decisions sometimes. And the banks definitely have foreclosures sort of baked into their rate. They know some people are going to default on their loans. So I hope that I'm never in a position where I have to make that decision again. But ultimately, I chose my own financial future over paying a debt, and I would make that choice again because no one else in the world is going to be responsible for my financial future. So again, it's probably not a very timely conversation. Uh, We're sort of out of that period where a lot of people's homes are underwater, but it's kind of a good personal finance business lesson to learn, you know, money is just business. So. That's the second thing I did. And then I just really got to work on tightening the belt, lowering my costs. I definitely did extreme budgeting for a while. I don't think I bought coffee in a coffee shop for maybe 18 months. (laughs) No new clothes and things like that. Eventually pay off the debt, rebuild the savings. And through the power of compounding, things start to look and feel different fairly Mm -hmm. quickly. So it feels really tight, really doing without for a while but then it pays off. Right. And I actually like what you said with the whole realizing that you're on a sinking ship, a Titanic. And even if you rearrange the deck chairs, it's still going (laughs) to sink. That's amazing. That's so brilliant. So even though the housing crisis is not where it was yet, but there are many people who are on sinking ships, so are overcommitted on car loans, are have home payments or rent payments, or just really overspending on major things in their lives. And They don't realize it or they do realize it, but don't feel there's a way out. But realistically, are you going to get off the ship or are you going to just go down with it and just continue on because you don't understand or you don't want to go another way or another direction and get off on a life raft? So I think that's just important to note. You know, I had a couple of clients in my office today. They're prospective clients. They're considering working with me and they happened to share with me that they were on their way to buy a new car. They already had the car picked out. They know how much money it's going to cost. And I said, you're going to pay cash, right? And they said, no, we're going to work out the loan so that it's $500 a month. And I said, look at rich people pay cash for depreciating assets. The reason you don't want to let go of that cash is because you don't want to fully feel the pain of paying for that vehicle, what you plan to pay for it. But it's like a psychological trick. You taking a loan if you only have to put down half, let's say the car costs $40,000 and they put down 20, they only feel like they're parting with $20,000. But anyone who's worked out the all-in costs of a loan like that knows that you're actually paying a lot more than the purchase price you've agreed to by financing it over time. I could tell from their faces they didn't want to hear that piece of advice. But I think to speak to what you said which was about a lot of people being on sinking ships. 
a lot of people think that they have an income problem. So we live life like we need to make more money. And the truth is, any income can be appropriate as a function of how much you spend. So a lot of people think they have an income problem when what they actually have is a spending problem. So I'm concurring with you. I agree with what you said. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, I say this all the time. It's all relative because if it was just an income issue, then rich people would never go bankrupt and they would never have money issues. And we all know that is not the case. Exactly. (laughs) So at this time, were you starting to build your own firm, your financial firm at this point? I was. I was mentored into the business by my father. So at that point, I was working for him. Okay. And then you decided to break away from your father's firm and start your own company. I did through the evolution of all those life lessons for me. And then I'm especially motivated to speak to women. So my website says by women for women. (laughs) So I really wanted to bring this conversation to the market and let people know, look, if you're struggling financially, it may not be a willpower thing and it may not be an intelligence thing. It's probably not a math skills problem. And in order to do that, I needed to build my own platform. So that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And I love that you say that you're focusing or you talk to women because I feel that women and money, it's an important connection. It's an important conversation that more women, I believe, are having. So I do think we're at a point where even now being in the personal finance space and we're in the FinCon community together. And there are a lot of women podcasters, bloggers and women taking control of finances, which it's just great to see. But I would say then maybe not in our personal finance industry, just like regular people, regular relationships, single women, single moms. It's so important to take control and be the captain of your ship when it comes to your finances. Take the reins, woman. (laughs) So the money conversation is happening everywhere I am, but I'm not sure it's happening everywhere women are. I think that we still have a lot of work to do. And I still meet women who say to me, I don't know where the accounts are. My husband manages everything. I don't even know the financial advisor. I'm afraid to ask. So we have our work cut out for us. (laughs) As you mentioned earlier, you do have your own podcast, which is amazing. I'm definitely a fan of that. And one of your latest episodes talked about the seven steps to wealth, which I thought were really good foundational steps that anyone could follow. Could you just go through a bit of those steps? Sure. Thanks. And actually, the first step that I shared that I took was to decide to be a responsible steward of my wealth, decide to be rich. And that really is the first step. I think that mindset is the most critical thing when it comes to money. That's been proven over and over and over again, that the key predictor of a wealthy life is an empowered mindset. And that means taking responsibility for your results, not being a victim of the past, and really truly believing that you create your life and you create it with your intentions, you create it with your speaking, and you create it with your actions. The second step is plan. And like I said in the episode when I talked about this Most people actually never complete this step (laughs) at the early stages. So in phase one of a financially successful life, planning just looks like spending less than you make, consciously deciding to save, getting to the point where you're maxing out your 401k, right? Another way to look at it is a lot of people decide what to spend first and then they save what's left. I invite you to invert that and decide what to save first and spend what's left. At the more sophisticated level, when you start to have a significant amount of assets, you have more complexity, you have more things that can go wrong, 
planning looks like working with a team of advisors, professionals, estate planning attorney, tax preparer, financial advisor to both minimize your risks and maximize the chances you'll achieve the things that are important to you. And really financial planning is about constant course correction. You sort of never arrive. So even if you save $5 million, you can potentially lose it all in a day. So it's about always keeping those girders up. The third step is speak. And you can tell that I'm almost spiritual about how I talk about, well, my life, really. It's not like I'm responsible in my financial life and irresponsible in other parts of my life. I believe that personal accountability is critical to success. And the step called speak is about understanding what's your money mindset. I call it your money operating system. I actually trademarked that term. It's like your computer has an operating system and everything about the computer, how it works and how it interacts with all like mouse and the printer is all a function of the operating system. And that's what's true about you with money. And so looking at what is that money operating system that you got from your past, from your childhood, and how is that impacting you in your present? The fourth step is ask. And ask is really about coming at the world with an intention to expand your possibilities, to take on that next opportunity, to ask for more, to grow your income. Jamila, you shared with me just a little bit about your financial life, and I can really tell you're engaged in the process of ask. You got committed to some results that weren't on your current trajectory, and so you changed your trajectory, and it's impressive. We all have that friend who's always up to their next entrepreneurial idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and if they're successful, then they're engaged in the process of asking. Now, this obviously doesn't have to do with people who are trying to get rich quick schemes, but a lot of people who are asking life for more are business owners and entrepreneurs. And that's probably a little bit of the reason you launched the podcast. That's mm-hmm. kind of what you shared with me. The fifth step is earn. Obviously, earnings is going to increase over your lifetime, but for many people, their 40s and 50s are their highest earning decade. And I just invite people to take on building and attaining new technical skill sets and becoming more and more valuable in the marketplace so that you can maximize earnings. Because when it comes to velocity, everything starts with earning. And um, people spend a lot of time, money, and resources trying to earn more money, but If you don't have all these seven steps in place, mostly the money just comes in and disappears. People have no idea where their money goes, right? So earning is important, but the other steps are all critical too. Step number six is invest. Obviously, you know, you have to invest your money to enjoy compound returns. The only people who shouldn't invest their money are people who have more than enough. And I don't know a lot of those people. (laughs) For example, hypothetically speaking, every billionaire I've met, all two of them. No, most billionaires have their money invested. But technically, if you're a billionaire, you could kind of leave it in cash. Mm, right. Right? If you've got more than enough, you don't actually have to invest it to grow it. But for most ordinary citizens, we need the power of the markets and compound returns to get to our financial goals. That's what I mean. No, I would never say that people should give their money away. That's a personal choice based on your values. Ultimately, you have to give it to your kids charities or Uncle Sam, but you get to decide. Right. (laughs) And the seventh step is protect. And that is your various kinds of insurance. You got to protect what you've built. Uh, For example, a revocable living trust is another form of asset protection, umbrella policies, life insurance policies, and things like this. Those steps pretty much cover 
the building blocks to getting <laughs> on track with building wealth. And you mentioned something about, so, you know, you need, to, you need to do a lot of these things, almost everything. And it doesn't matter if you earn a lot, if you're not up to speed or honing in on the other skills and making sure you're following those paths, then the earning might not matter because you're not prepared to invest or you don't know what to do with the money. So, which kind of brings me to the, like the next point. So I know you are a certified financial planner. Can you explain a bit about what a certified financial planner does, what you do and how you get paid? Sure. First of all, a CFP is a voluntary designation. So it just means that I took a bunch of classes and then passed a really, really hard test. It's a two-day, 10-hour exam. The coursework is in estate planning, investments, insurance, income tax. And so those are really the areas of personal financial planning. You can't know from the fact that someone is a CFP how they get paid. So there are CFPs who are in insurance. There are CFPs who are in income tax. I happen to be a a certified financial planner who's working as a financial advisor. I myself am what's called an independent fiduciary fee-only financial advisor. That's a lot of syllables. And the word fiduciary definitely is not the most common word in the world. But what that means is I've taken an oath to put my client interests before even my own that I don't work for a bank or brokerage or product company and I don't have any products to sell, that I work only for my clients who never pay commissions. I think that should be important to you when it comes to financial advice. Commissions are a huge conflict of interest and advisors who work for the big banks, let's say Merrill Lynch, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, these folks, it's nice to have that big brand behind the name. What it means ultimately is that they have proprietary products to sell you And when they make a recommendation to you, you kind of have to think, well, is this good for me or is it good for you? Is it going to make me money or is it going to make you money? And so my clients never have to worry about that. So that's how my business works. So you're a financial advisor and what are the things that you help your clients with? I help my clients through all the phases of life. And that means everything from maximizing the chances they'll achieve the things that are important to them to financially possibly assisting parents and children, parents through healthcare and children through school. I build expert investment portfolios that are very low cost and extremely efficient at harvesting the returns that are available to us in the market. I help them plan for income tax events. I just had a couple clients go through an IPO and I help them with a stock selling strategy. I make recommendations about how you should buy a car I help people get mortgages. I will talk to them about what it's like to think about buying a second home or a vacation home. I will sit in meetings with their divorce attorney. I sit in meetings with their tax person. I've actually got a meeting next week with someone who's considering a million-dollar Roth conversion. And so that's a lot of dollars. So we want to put the advisory team together and make sure this is the right thing to do. But my clients are the chief executive officer. They set the strategy. Their goals and values are what's important, how they want to spend their time, what they want to do with their money. And it's just my job to tell them the best way to get there. And so my role has broad scope. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm asking you this because for me, I'm familiar with what financial advisors do for the most part, but there still seems to be that question of, well, I wonder how long I can manage my own asset, doing things on my own and I guess the next question is, do you think people can be successful on their own or do you advise that at some point, depending on maybe someone's assets and their income or net worth, that they should consider getting an advisor? 
So everyone that's listening knows I'm a financial advisor. So obviously my answer is going to be biased, but here's what I know to be true. There comes a point when you have the opportunity to stop thinking about your finances as a zero sum game. For example, it ceases to be about terminal portfolio values, the actual dollar amount that you see when you log into your accounts. And it starts to be about achieving your goals. And for many people, that means ultimately replacing their earned income with income from the portfolio. And that takes an expert, period. If you don't know what to sell and how much of it to sell, if you don't know how much you can pay yourself from your portfolio and you spend too much after you've retired, that's an unrecoverable mistake because quickly after you stop working, you lose your ability and willingness to work, frankly, your ability to make it back. And you can also think of hiring a financial advisor as big mistake insurance. So people who are on my watch don't make financial mistakes. Now, does everyone in the world who doesn't have an advisor make huge financial mistakes? No. But do you want to take that chance that it'll be you? I have a client who made $3 million in Intel stock. She was an employee and she took advice from a friend. She didn't want to hire professionals. She was thinking about cost and not benefit. And she did a tax thing that cost her a million dollars. Wow. And of course her friend isn't going to answer to that. Her friend isn't a professional. She didn't pay for that advice. So she finally reached out to me and she was able to retire early. She's still living on that remaining $2 million. And we do this process to give her income and she calls it skimming off the top. Hillary, we just skim off the top. So I'm going to have $2 million or more for the rest of my life. I said, that's the goal. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she's never going to make a mistake like that again. And now she pays to have a financial advisor and a very high cost tax preparer because she's got a lot of tax stuff in her life because all these stocks are in an after tax account. So capital gains are a part of her life. I think there's tremendous value in surrounding yourself with experts and professionals who are almost as interested in your success as you are. (laughs) We're all facing the same goal. We're all trying to achieve the same thing. Otherwise, it's just you. And I just don't think you should go that alone. So you mentioned like a couple of people or a couple of clients who have two, three million dollar portfolios. So what about someone who maybe they have a couple hundred thousand, maybe they don't even have a couple hundred thousand, they have a few thousand Should they consider a financial advisor at that point? Or what considerations should someone have to start looking at hiring someone? There's a phase of your saving and investing phase of life that's just about how much money can we get into these accounts? And you're so young and you haven't been saving for that long. So really more of the balance of your investment accounts is your savings and less of it is uh, market returns. And then you start to get into a phase of life where you own a couple of pieces of real estate. You're starting to think about planning for college for the kids. You're concerned that your parents' retirement isn't fully funded. You want to talk about moving to a lower cost area or maybe a higher cost area. These are the kinds of complexities that demand professional advice. And then let me speak to the other side of the thing that you just brought up, which is it's kind of hard for people with small account balances to get advice. So Folks like me, we get paid a percentage of the assets that we manage. So the larger the account, the more I get paid. And so there are advisors who have two and three million dollar account size minimums. So mine for a long time was a half million dollars. And it just doesn't inspire me as a professional to have 
the coup de grace of my career be raising my minimum account size values and to say to people, I can't work with you unless you have a million or $2 million. And so what I've done is I've invested in technology and we are building a solution right now that allows me and my team to work with folks down to $25,000 account size. And those folks will get comprehensive advice. They'll get what they really need, which is people need to know how much they need to be saving in order to achieve their goals. I wouldn't use an online calculator for that. You need an expert to be with you over time and say, okay, based on what you're earning now, this is how much should be going in the account. And so that's the kind of service we'll be providing. And I'm launching or announcing that solution in the next about eight to 10 weeks. So we're just kind of putting the finishing touches on the technology. So there are a lot of advisors out there trying to find ways to work with smaller clients. And I know it's even a sensitive word to say smaller because in our culture, right? Small is bad, big is good. (laughs) And so it feels like I'm valuing you and I'm not, that's not my intention. We all start somewhere, right? It's a tough question, but I think that my answer about going from the first phase, which is save as much as we can to the second phase where you start to have complexity and a lot of questions is my best answer about how to know when it's time to hire a professional. I mean, I think that's important to note about even if you have a smaller size account, if you want that professional help, there are probably people out there that can help you. So with um, CFPs, you don't have to be designated in that state with the CFP. They can be across country. You can do things virtually. So how that would go is if the advisor that you find is willing to work with people virtually, that you would come on board as a client. And then if that advisor exceeds the de minimis standard in the state of New York, then they would just go register in New York. It's not a big deal. Okay, that's good to know. And I mean, part of that question also is because just so you have a bigger pool of people you're looking at, if you're looking for a financial advisor, you can not just limit it to maybe where you live. If you find someone online or you know someone in another state that has been recommended, you can reach out to those people too to see if they would work with you virtually. Exactly. The one thing I will say to watch out for, so this is a little yellow flag warning, if you go to work with an advisor and they are trying to sell you annuities or whole life insurance, those are products that the advisor earns a huge commission on that historically have sold to folks who are early on in their saving and investing years. So maybe lack sophistication and also don't have a big account size. So that's a way a financial advisor can make money working with quote unquote smaller clients. But I'm warning you against those products, which tend to be very expensive, in my opinion, very, very few people need them. In fact, I've been doing this for almost 20 years. I have yet to meet a single person who told me they were glad that they had purchased an annuity. And I will stop saying that if it ever happens. I've said that in front of hundreds of people. I've never had anyone raise their hand and say, I am. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think annuities are typically sold with big promises that they don't deliver on. That is a good thing to look out for. Who knows, someone listening who maybe wants to hire someone or is working with someone, maybe they're having someone peddle that to them and that might be very helpful to them. You're giving so much great tips for anyone listening who, even if they don't, are not ready to hire a planner, just how to get their finances in order and get on the right path to wealth. If you could say key takeaways for someone to consider after listening to this podcast that they can say, okay, I'm going to maybe, you know, not investment advice, but just what they can do to further themselves along on their wealth building path. I would Take a minute and take stock of the things that you say about money, the things that you say to yourself, the things that you say to other people. And if you don't talk about money, maybe it's something you've never actually articulated. It's just a feeling or it's your experience of money. 
many of us got stuck with what a lot of people call a scarcity money mindset. So it's a money operating system called there's never enough money. And if your reality is there's never enough money, I have good news for you. <laughs> good news is that actually the supply of wealth in the world is infinite. And the reason you think there's never enough money is because you just decided that at some point in your childhood, a lot of us do, and you forgot that you decided it. And now you've created a reality that aligns with it. So you have the power to impact that. Anything is possible once you can unseat the money operating systems. And if you say things like, I can't afford that, stop saying that. Stop saying I can't afford that. It is not an empowered place to be. Instead, you could say, I'm not going to put that in my spending plan. Or you could say, let me see how I can afford that. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's so powerful. The power of words, the power of your mind. And it's like sometimes maybe that seems a little woo-woo-y, but everybody that I bring on the podcast, myself, I say it all the time. It all starts with your mindset and your emotions behind money. It's not the actual formulas. Yes, you'll get that. But if you don't have the mindset, the behavior, the emotional strength and positivity with money, it's going to set you up for failure no matter how much money you make. Absolutely. And if you have any kind of thought that thinking about what you say about money is woo-woo, you should just look up neuropsychology. I mean, this is being taught at the world's top universities. It's not woo. What the neuropsychologists know is that much of our experience of life is a function of language. You can use that to create any results in your life that you want. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, Hillary, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing so much great knowledge and letting everyone know more about yourself. So where can everyone find you if they want to learn more about you and Profit Boss? Well, since you're listening to a podcast now, if you like the things that we talked about, I'd love it if you check out Profit Boss Radio anywhere that you access podcasts. Also, if you want to find me on the web, I'm at hillaryhendershot.com. And I always have a great little free gift on my homepage if you want to sign up to hear more. Right. And I will link all of Hillary's contact information in the show notes for this episode. But thank you so much, Hillary, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Hillary. I think she does such an amazing job with explaining the concepts, the seven steps of wealth, and just breaking down the psychology of it, like what really motivates us. And she just articulates that so well. So I hope you got a lot from this episode. Also, if you enjoyed Hillary's talk about the seven steps to building wealth, you should check out her live event that she's having coming up. It's the Profit Boss live event. It's basically a live in-person wealth workshop where you get to figure out how to build your own wealth plan. And you can find out more information at ProfitBossLive.com. I also have that link in the show notes at JourneyToLaunch.com slash episode 21. And there you can contact and see all about Hillary. Again, if you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to share this with a friend or family member. Don't forget to review, subscribe, and rate if you listen on Apple Podcasts. And just subscribe wherever you listen. I'd appreciate it. Also, if you want to come on over and join us in the private Facebook group, we'd love to have you. So the private Facebook group is a growing community of journeyers connecting and learning from each other. So go to journeytolaunch.com slash community to join. And one last thing, I have a voicemail, guys. I have a voicemail set up for the podcast that 
you can call in and leave a message. And so the next time maybe I do a solo episode, I will play some calls and I would love to hear your question and I'd love to answer it on the air. So call in, leave a question, get my feedback live on the air. Go to journeytolaunch.com slash voicemail. Okay, guys, I will chat with you next week. 